Hey everyone, so here's the thing. When I started this podcast, one of my objectives was to keep things light and humorous, especially in the face of the seriousness of the lives we're all being asked to lead at the moment. But every now and again, someone's story comes along where light and humorous just doesn't feel appropriate. In today's episode, we've got one such story. It's powerful, gripping, hopeful, moving, and incredibly important. It's a story that transcends hospitality, and I think needs to be heard by as many people as possible. So today, I'm stripping things right back. No music intro, no comedy moments, just me chatting to someone with a phenomenal story of transcendence. I'm delighted to introduce Muhammad Ali, who currently works at those legends over at Oaxaca. Muhammad has quite literally been saved by the industry of hospitality and shows what kindness really can achieve. But his real strength is in how he's looking forward. I'd urge you to listen to every single word of our chat and when you're done, share it to as many places as you can, even beyond our incredible industry. It's a story that needs to be heard and could save an awful lot of people. A huge thank you to Muhammad for being so open. Stay tuned to the end for information on where you can follow this inspirational guy. I'll also put the links in the show notes on our website, hospitalitymeets.captivate.fm, where you can also sign up to our weekly newsletter. Until then, sit back, take a deep breath, and I hope you enjoy Muhammad's story as much as I did. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, I've got an absolute humdinger of a guest. As you all know by now, one of the objectives of the show was to tell as wide a variety of stories as possible from entry level all the way up to the very top of the industry. Today's guest has had one hell of a journey just to end up in hospitality, where he now feels, I think it's safe to say, at home and has a superb career in front of him. I'll let him fill in the blanks on that, but it gives me amazing pleasure to welcome to the show Muhammad Ali. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's a massive introduction. Excellent. <laughs> well, no, that's, cool. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I really I'm, appreciate that. I always write these things yeah. a little bit in the dark about, you know, okay. am, I, am I saying the right things? And, and yeah. I've got some wrong. I've mispronounced people's names. And um, yeah. it sounded like I was just coming, you know, um, to the ring for the first time, you know, after being away for so long. Yeah. Just about to have the biggest part of my life. The introduction got me. Really excited, you know. Nice one. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. How are you doing anyway? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. As you know, like, you know, there's so many, I guess, uncertainties in this um, time at the moment has, in 2020. Yeah. Um, but what I'm trying to do the best to the best of my ability is be as optimistic and, and you know, hopeful about the future. Obviously, right now, I've been looking forward to having a conversation with you as well. You know, one of the things I really, you know, I'm hoping to do in, is highlight how, how hospitality has really, you know, helped me and changed my whole perception about people in general as well. Yeah. And I guess, you know, this is an opportunity for me to say thank you to everyone in hospitality from the clink to, you know, Wahaka, who's given me an opportunity to every single other, you know, member of hospitality who have, you know, given me a helping hand. But yeah, you know, honestly, I can't thank them enough. Brilliant. You know. Well, that, I, that's great. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk in more depth about, about the, the clink because I think what yeah. they're doing is incredible. But um, an elephant in the room that we have to get out of the way yeah. uh, straight away is your name, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Obviously, that conjures up images of, of somebody else that was fairly famous. Yeah. Um, um, 
the greatest person ever. Yeah, well, he was, he was an inspiration, that man, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm not trying to be like him, you know. I'm, I'm just trying to be the next Muhammad, and I'm not trying to take his name yeah. in any way. So, <laughs> no putting your gloves on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to fight, guys. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so. No, that's cool. We also had somebody on the, the show who was called Rachel Stevens, and still is called okay. Rachel Stevens, in fact. And okay. um, obviously, that, that's a, a member of S Club 7. Uh, I think okay. it was the, the band. This might be before your time. Oh. Showing my age now. Nice. No, I, I think I can remember S Club 7. They were, they were good. Their, their songs. I remember, I think, some of their songs. Yeah. Very yeah. happy. Very happy. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, let's, I suppose, kick things off. Take us okay. all the way back to school schoolhood and yeah. kind of just talk us through your your journey because I, I think as i said at the the beginning of the the chat yeah. for me this is kind of what the podcast is all about the the diversity of people's journeys is incredible and i think okay. um, I, i'm really excited to hear yours in a bit more depth all right um so i guess you know childhood for me was quite happy. It was happy times. Honest to God, if I remember, um, you know how I was. I was growing up in London. You know, I came here as a, a really young a young boy, and growing up in London was exciting. You know, going to school. Life was, you know, full of different differences. You know, like there's so many variety of people. There's so many yeah. you know, multicultural cities. So it was nice to be able to mix in with so many different people. Based on that I guess it was also equally difficult to grasp the, the language having been here only a year. So I came to London, yep. UK, 2000. Where, so where are you from time, originally, Mohammed? Yes. So I'm from Somalia. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I came, I came to London 2000 to move over with my father. Straight away I went to primary school, which was, it was nice, you know, learning trying to learn English. Obviously, my maths was okay because my dad liked maths. I didn't really like maths, but my dad forced me to like maths. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> English, yes. But the English, I guess, um, it, was, it was difficult for me to learn English. So what I used to do is, I think if I look back to it, it was kind of a unique way of trying to learn. What I used to do is I would copy what people say, whatever words they say, and then I would try to repeat them in the same expression that I was on their face. Okay. So, okay. yeah, so I'll give you an example. So yep. one time, obviously, you know, not every, you know, some kids can be evil sometimes, yeah? So yeah. there were some, some <laughs> kids outside of school. Some kids outside of school were time, and I guess I used to copy, you know, what people say. And then one, one boy said to me, um, you know, I think he said, he said a rude word, right? Well, one, something, 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 right? But he said it with a smile. So I thought, okay, cool. So... It must have been something good, right? So I went, I left the school that day and I remember walking on my way home and I remember saying the same thing that he said, but putting an S on it, so making it plural. So right. to a group, to a group of boys outside the shop. So you can imagine it was a swear word. So I don't want to repeat it, it was a swear word. So when I said the, the, the swear word with the plurals, therefore I was talking to all of them and they chased me. I guess, <laughs> so, so I was like, you know what, try to repeat, you know what, what you hear from people is maybe not the best way of learning, but it helped me to pick up the accent. It helped me to pick up new words all the time. 
but obviously I wouldn't repeat that same mistake of everyone just repeating what people say if I don't understand what they mean. Actually, <laughs> so, a, re- a really great lesson for, for adult life as well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I definitely always, looking back to it now, it was like, wow, like I actually went through that and I, you know, I was actually repeating what people said generally. Yeah. So yeah, um, that was an example. Um, obviously, school was, school was all right, apart from, you know, the language barrier and the difficulty of learning the English language. Apart from that, it was really fun, you know, to be there, to be studying, to have the opportunity. My, always, my dad always used to talk about, you know, you're in England now, you've got opportunities, you know, to make something out of your life. And he was really pushing me towards, you know, doing something with my life. Yeah. Went to secondary school. In secondary school, funnily enough, my name, Muhammad Ali, got me in more trouble than it was worth at that time. So really? in secondary yeah, um, I think, you know, when you're young and you have other young people around you, they don't realize that I didn't choose Muhammad Ali, like, it's just my name. <laughs> so I, when I say, what's your name? And I say Muhammad Ali, so you can fight, and, you know, like, it becomes, it becomes almost like I'm, I'm saying, like, I'm a fighter. Right. Like, I'm making an, announce, an announcement. So, <laughs> so people always offering me up for, you know, thinking that, because my name is Muhammad Ali, I must be able to fight. And I didn't even like fighting. So I'm like, guys, I really don't want to fight. <laughs> but obviously, what can I do, you know, if people are offering? Yeah, so that got me into trouble, more trouble than it was worth. Yeah. Got, got expelled from school a couple of times for fighting. And I guess, in a way, I kind of, you know, went down that path of fighting people. And then my dad was really upset about that. So, you know, forwarding that, he took me back to took me back home to say, look, you need to re reevaluate yourself and think about the culture and think about why you came here. So in, in his own way, he was trying to help me desist from, you know, the mind frame I was in at that time. Yeah. Right? However, when you're a young boy, or have you come from Somalia, yeah? And in London, in comparison to Somalia, is no, it's no comparison. Obviously, London is much better, much peaceful, much more built. It's much, it, it feels like an upgrade, right? So right. having come to, and for me to be told I'm going back, it almost felt like I'm going backwards. And I didn't like that. Hence why, you know, I went against my dad's wishes and tried to make my way back. So I went to, when I was taken to Somalia for a little while to stay there, I went to, um, I went to this, um, the embassy in Ethiopia. Obviously, with the help of some family, I got some money and I went to Ethiopia and I went to the embassy and I said, look, um, I lost my passport. At the time, I already had my passport. So I said, I lost my passport. Is there any way I can you know, be given a visa to come back? And this was at the age of 15. Right. So, yeah. So then I came back with the help of the British embassy into the UK. And hence why I went to foster home because I was an unaccompanied minor. And right. my dad was a the fact that I came back to this country on my own. So yeah. he's like, oh, like, I don't want nothing to do with it. So it, then it became the social service's responsibility to kind of look after me and they put me in foster home, my first ever foster experience. And I must say, you know, you know, I hear a lot of stories about foster homes and, you know, what, um, what it's like. But having lived through it, I must tell you right now, like, that the family I was living in was amazing. Like, I know this my foster mom up to this day like i've looked everywhere until i found her and an absolutely wonderful family i feel like 
I feel like I done myself injustice because when I went to live with uh, my foster parents who were Eritrean, by the way, so we have similar culture, I feel like they were really trying to assist me in order to make, help me find my feet and become somebody in this, you know, in this country. And when I explained to her about my father and the situation and Somalia and the fact that I came back, she was like, really, now that you're here, you must do something productive and succeed in life, you know? Mm. Obviously, I think by this time it was, I was, you know, because I'm a kid, I didn't really see the necessity of taking advice, one. And two, even though I liked her, I, I, in my head I'm thinking, if my own father and myself are not, you know, compatible at the moment, and my own father doesn't, and my own family is not, you know, drawing me back to their circle, then why would an outsider and what they say really be true, you know? No. So I kind of, I feel like I kind of, you know, cut my nose, spite my face, because she was genuinely trying to help me and her family was all trying to be there for me. In any case, you know, that led me to the first time to be getting involved in, you know, people around my area. At the time I was living in Kidbrook, which actually, funnily enough, I was not even that far from where I am now because I live in Catford now. But, um, you know, it, it was almost like, you know, I felt like I had no reason to care anymore because my father, which I, the reason I came back was to just say to him, look, I, I don't want to be in some money anymore. I want to be here, I'll fix up. But because he kind of, he didn't want to know, now he felt like I didn't care no more. So this is the worst thing a person could do. The worst thing a person could do yeah, is when somebody, like, or when people believe that they, let's say, for example, someone thought, you know, feel that you was a criminal, you, you're a robber, yeah? What if you said, obviously you're not, but let's say, let's say you said to them. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say you, you know, said to them. Who knows like, what goes on behind the microphone, eh? Right, yeah, no, what, you don't know. <laughs> so, well, we hope that, okay? So yeah. let's, say, let's say someone says to you, this is what you are. And, in, you know, a lot of the time, especially when you're young and even when you're an adult, it's hard to, you know, have that. It's almost like the response, like, okay, you think I'm a robber, so I might as well be a robber. You know, like, so in my mind, when I came back, me saying, oh, you think I am, you know, misbehaving, like, I'm not going to fix up, I'm not going to make something out of my life. Instead of saying, I will prove you wrong, just happens to be, you know, I proved my father right, that I wasn't behaving myself and I wasn't going to do the right things in my life. Mm. And I think it's important for people to always remember, a lot of the times people will say what they think, but for you to you know, you have, you still have a choice whether you want to prove that person right or prove them wrong. Yeah. Obviously, as an adult now, I can look back and say that was so childish and what I should have done is say, look, the reason I came back, remember that and to make something out of my life would be the necessary and the right choice. In any case, um, you know, the, the point you make about uh, we always have a choice, it's obviously much easier to make a choice when you're in a position and all the, you know, all, everything's lined up perfectly for you to make a, a good choice. But yes. there is actually a, a, a really wonderful piece of philosophy from, and bear with me here, from Harry okay. Potter. Okay. Um, there's a, a line that, uh, that Dumbledore says in that movie, uh, well, sl- slash book. I don't actually know if he says it in the book, but in any case, it made it to the movie. Soon we all have to choose between what is right and what is easy 
And I think a lot of the time, I, I think that's absolutely, it's a genius saying. Say that again. What, soon, soon we will all have to choose between what is right and what is easy. Okay. And a lot of the time people make a, cho- a bad choice because it is the easy thing to do okay. and not because it's the right thing to do. Um, okay. it's, the, it's the path of least resistance, which can be a real friend to you when you're trying to, to make a, a you know, stride forward. But, but the path of least resistance can also mean uh, sending you down the wrong route very, very quickly. Okay. Um, yeah. Soon we all have to choose between what is right and what is easy. Yeah. That, you know, I, I, feel like, I feel like that almost, you know, that almost sounds like, you know, the choices we have every day in front of us, like we can either choose between what we know is right, because most of the time what is right is difficult. It's not, it's not easy. Yes. Right? But well, at the I'm, same time... I'm not, a, I'm not a morning person, so I have to make this choice every morning. Do I get yeah. up? Do I get up with my alarm clock at 6.30 in the morning? Or do yeah. I stay in bed until 10 a.m., which is what I'd really love to do? Um, <laughs> and so yeah. I, have, I have this battle every day, but it's just obviously a slightly different kind of battle. But um, okay. you get the point. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I've wrote that down. I'm definitely going to remember that. I feel like that's a, that's a nice quote for me to remember and take on my archives. But yeah, um, so... So, so coming back to what I was saying, I feel like, you know, it is, it is important, like you mentioned as well, it is important for all, like, I think the example you made is, you know, at the end of the day, if everything is lined up, I don't think, I don't think for any of us, life is going to be that easy for everything to line up. Yeah. Isn't it funny though, how every time, you know, things are in front of you today, you don't really, you don't really see or you don't really hear what the person's saying to you or you don't really grasp the full meaning behind their words until later on. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like I've had a lot of, a lot of times where people really tried to give me advice and it's never hit me as hard as it should have at the time, but it always catches me later. And I'll give you an example later on um, about some of the stuff that's being told to me and, and I never remember until later. Yeah. So, yeah, so anyway, I got involved in this, um, you know, the people in my area and, you know, having, uh, I guess in a way, not caring anymore didn't help me at all because now it meant that I was just getting involved with whatever that was happening. And then that's how I first got caught up in, you know, wanting to, I guess, fit in wanting to be a part of something in my local area. I started, you know, smoking, which at that, until then I've never smoked, you know, yep. just to fit in, I've started smoking. So I started with cigarettes. Then just to fit in, I started, you know, hanging around with my friends and the world, the people in the area. And I would go out and if there was a fight, I would get involved. And bearing in mind, I'm not a person who likes fighting. So now I'm getting involved just to fit in, just to feel like I belong to this group. You know, yeah. just like, it almost felt like I needed this protection around me. Yeah. And, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I'm thinking, what do I need protection from? You know? But at the time, it makes sense because, like, I am alone. I'm not with my family. I don't really get, like, I don't really, you know, really understand the value of my foster parents. You know, I'm not with my father or any of my family members. I'm on my own. 
So it made sense at the time to just go with the people around there so that I feel like I feel safe. I feel like I've got like an older brother or, you know, family members around me to protect me. But that was, I guess, at the time, even though it wasn't the right choice, going by what you said and what Dumbledore said, yeah, it was the easy choice. <laughs> yeah. So it was the easy choice was just to go with it. And I did that. But I think that, you know, the, the point of like smoking as, a, as an example, I think the majority of people out in the, the wide world, whether you've been, you're just about to start smoking or you've been smoking for 40 years, I think we all yeah. know that it's not very good for us. And, and yet, people make that choice every day to do what is easy. You know, it's yeah. easier for me to go and smoke 40 cigarettes than it is for me to, to give up. And it's, you know, that's a, a really, it's a simplistic, real-world example of, yeah. uh, of a decision that has to be made in a lot of situations as well with children you know, <laughs> who are introduced to, to cigarettes at, a, at far too young an age. And it's easier a lot of the time to just say yes, because, you know, that's exactly how, as you put it, how you fit in with the crowd. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And obviously the, the challenge in the mind at that time is it, it's always taking an easy option. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get the analogy because, you know, if, if, we, if we all know our you know, strengths and if we all know what is wrong and what is right, we should always be choosing what is right for us, what is right for yeah. us. But sometimes it's hard when, you know, what is right for us has got a challenge next to it. Yeah. Uh, what is everyone doing? You know what? Everyone's doing it. Why not? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And you know, I, I'm not in any way, shape or form a, a psychologist. And all I know is my own experience. You know, and I form my opinions based around, around that. I, you know, I look at my own situation with, with smoking. I've never put a cigarette to my mouth. And okay. the reason for that was, is that when I, when I summed it up as a kid, when that was first presented as, a, as an opportunity to me, I weighed up the pros and cons. And I'm you know, fortunate enough to have uh, uh, my, my father in my life, and he was my hero. And I used to just okay. run through my brain. If I put this cigarette in my mouth, I'm, I'm letting him down. And okay. I just, that was, that was an easy decision for me to make because I would have preferred to have taken a beating at school for not fitting in than to go home yes. and let my father down. That's, that's powerful. Yeah. I, and I don't, yeah, I, like you say though, I don't think I feel, of course I didn't fully appreciate that at the time. And yeah. now looking back at it, it's very easy for me to, to appreciate one, how lucky I was to have the father that I had in my life. Um, yeah. but two that I had the strength of mind at that age to be able to say, no, I don't want to be part of the crowd. I just, you know, I want to make my own choices. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a, a really lucky guy. No, absolutely. And I feel like that's a very powerful, you know, thing that it, it just seemed like the whole deterrent, the whole situation was a deterrent for you, not because of everyone else, but because of the relationship you have with your father. That's actually powerful, honestly. Yeah. Um, and Look at your your own situation, whereby you you didn't have this father figure with you in your life at yeah. that time, and maybe if he'd have been there, you know, at the at that time, then maybe you make different choices. There's just so many little, you know, yeah. and yeah. ways that things can happen. It's it's yeah. it's fascinating, and I'm sorry I've taken you off your story again. No, no, it's it's fine. It's fine. I feel like you know what basically. The, the point you just made there is perfect because, you know, 
if it's, it's almost like, you know that thing that you make with the, what's it called, the cube? The cube thing that you twist and you try to get all the colors matching. Oh, the Rubik's cube. Yeah, the Rubik's cube, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a bit like that. I feel like, you know, the, our whole journey, if one component is different, then it won't match, right? So yeah. there's, always, there's always different paths we can all take. And I feel like you're right for you to even reflect on that. That's, you know, insightful in itself because what you're saying is, you know, my life took that path because of the relationship I had with my father, your father. Yeah. And my life took this path. At the time, we don't know what would have happened if the relationship with my father would have been different. But yeah. we, I know for sure that my, you know, destination might have been slightly altered. So yeah, it is quite powerful. Like the choices we make, that's how, you know, I feel like that's how it just, it just shows that we're all interlinked in a way that, you know, one choice I made, one choice I made today might affect other people today, tomorrow, the day after. So my father's choices affected me, even though at the time the choice he was making was what he thought was right. Yeah. So Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And I'm and, and absolutely not father bashing. Uh, as yeah. it were, uh, because you know the, you do the best you can with what you've got at Absolutely. your disposal, right? And you know, ultimately, this is all part of your rich journey that that you that you've been on. And, and in any case, let's take us back. Let's yeah. take you back to to where we were. Yeah. Okay. So and um, so I guess that led me to getting involved in this, you know, acting. I guess for the first time. I found myself, you know, getting involved in fights, getting involved in activities that weren't, you know, like who I am, like, I guess, to fit in, like with the smoking, and that led to smoking weed, and then that led to fighting. And then the first time, the first ever time I started finding myself, like, getting, feeling like I want to fight all the time, that led me to, you know, go to prison for a violent disorder. You know, this is surely after I was taken to school. And violent disorder, basically, just, you know, outside of school, I was having a fight with a few of the peoples. And then as I was having a fight with them, some people I know from the area was around there and everyone got involved and it was a big fight. And because I was the main person that was involved, I was, you know, sentenced to 12 months DTO. I guess I want to I wanna highlight here that a lot of the times, you know, when something like that happens, the, the logical mind would, would tell you, and I'm talking about this from hindsight, like looking back to it, the logical mind will tell you that when somebody goes to prison, yeah, or the judge, let's say, for example, the judge sent me to prison, he didn't send me to prison so I don't fix up. He sent me to prison because in his mind, he's thinking this will be my deterrent, right? Right. But the thing is, because it's 12 months, and that's why I feel like, you know, when people go to prison for a short period of time, it almost is never a deterrent. And in my case, this was the situation because when I went to prison for 12 months to six months inside, I was now, you know, able to access a whole archive of criminality, like a whole group of people that I would have never met in my life right. if I was outside. So now I'm spending time with them. I'm having social, I'm socializing with them. I'm playing pool with them. I'm playing football with them. And, you know, I guess instead of acting as a deterrent, what it actually did is it made me, you know, think about my criminality a bit more. It made me come back thinking I want to do things better. I want to try to, you know, 
if I was selling drugs, I want to sell drugs better. I want to, if I was working, I want to be my own boss. So it started making me think about things in a much more of a negative way. Wow. Purely right. because of the environment. Yeah. And obviously at the time it doesn't register because at the time I'm thinking, you know, it's fine. I'm in prison. Let me just do my six months. I came out in any case. So now you understand. I came out. When I came out, I went in to the, crim- the criminal lifestyle a lot more. So now I had more contacts, more people that I wanted to get involved with. You know, people I would have never met in my life. And then that's hence why my life went from just a person who's lost, confused, alone in London, a young boy, to now, you know, thinking like I am, you know, this tough gangster in London, you know? Yeah, so uh, just looking back to it now, I'm, you know, laughing at the situation because I'm like, where did I go from? Like, I, I remember I was just in school the other day. So in any case, you know, that led me to getting involved in more activities, which later I moved to an area in London. I started, you know, selling drugs and now I'm thinking I'm, I'm the connector. Like I'm, I am the person that people will go to. So I started, I guess, in a way, getting more involved. So I have, you know, someone that's, you know, giving me drugs to sell. And now in my mind, I'm thinking now that I am closest to the the person that's giving me the drugs, I now um, must do things more and I must show, stamp my authority and all of this. That led to obviously and understandably, you know, other people in the area not liking the way I am behaving, the way I'm carrying myself around, and that led to conflicts. Those conflicts inevitably led to people challenging the, why, I'm, why I am where I am, why I'm in the area selling drugs. You know, you know, at that point in time, if I look back to it, it almost felt like I had no choice but to, you know, in a way, stand my authority and say, what, what do you mean? Why are you challenging me? Because one thing about the streets when I, when I was doing what I was doing is that if something happens and, or if someone tries to do something and your response or, and, or the way you react to it is not, I guess, in a way responsive or efficient, then other people are liable to do more of the same to you, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So Sin is a sign of weakness. Sign of weakness. There you yeah. go. So I guess, you know, at that time, you know, being a young boy, having my life just gone so, literally speeded so fast in front of me to the point where now I felt like, you know, I've started working on this stuff and now I'm getting a challenge. So in my mind, I was like, you know what, I, I really don't know what to do. So I went to the person that, was, that I was working for at the time and I was like, you know, this is the situation, this was happening, you know. I really want to, you know, do something about it, but I don't know. So the person said to me, look, so this person, you know, being the, the person above me, he's like, you know, take this, take this gun, go to the area and shoot the person. That's how, literally, that's how it is. Yeah, that's how he said it. Go to the area, take this gun and shoot him. Um, obviously, you know, I, in my now, you know, I guess looking back at it, I could remember just as he said that I was thinking, bro, like, I'm not gonna do that. You know what I mean? I don't wanna kill nobody. That's mad. But like I said to you at the beginning, there's sometimes 
going back to your quote, I feel like your quote is like my marker now. It's going back to your quote, yeah. I feel like sometimes <laughs> what is right, yeah, what is right and what is easy, like they're right next to each other, right? So at this moment, yeah. I'm looking at like, obviously I'm not going to like kill nobody, but I didn't say that, nothing to him. I was like, in my head, I'm like, I'm not going to kill nobody, but I know what I'll do. Because his, his friend was there and I didn't want to, I didn't want to be the person that tries to, you know, um, like try to make him look bad or whatever. So I was like, cool, just, all right, cool, give me the, um, give me the gun. That's, so, that's absolutely mad because it, it, it's, and I don't mean mad as in you're mad. It's like, it's, it's quite a crazy situation to think of. And I think absolutely. for a lot of people that when you, when you line it up difference between right and easy here, we've got a situation where doing right is incredibly difficult. Doing easy yeah. is incredibly difficult. Um, yes. And what the hell do you do? I just, it's, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Speechless that you, you, you know, that a human being can find themselves in a situation where they've got to make that call. Yeah. So honest to God, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was shocking to be in a situation, but at the time, because of how fast it happened, I didn't really register how you know, crazy it, it was. So I took the, the gun, um, left the area and in my mind, you know, and I repeat again, in my naive, childish mind, I'm thinking, if I go to this area, yeah, if I go to this area and I show, yeah, that I have a gun on me, that will be enough to the, you know, to deter, to tell these people to not mess with me. Yeah. You know, in, you see how I'm thinking, like you see yeah, yeah. films, cowboys coming with a, with a gun and everybody's running, you know what I mean, before they even shot. So that's in my mind, I'm thinking movie, yeah, movie says, obviously this is real life. So I went over there with the gun, in my mind, how I planned it, how I really played it in my head. I went over there, I had my friend who was gonna drive me away from the area, just, I told him to get me from the other side. Literally my plan was go over there, you know, but by the way, these people are calling me, they're trying to, they're trying to, they're really trying to intimidate me, right? So yeah. I've gone over there and I'm thinking, okay, cool. My plan is go over there, sound, you know, let one of the shot off, everybody would run. This is how I thought about it. Everybody would run. I'd get in my, um, I'll just run off, get in the, um, the car, and I'll drive off, never to be seen again. Yeah. That was it. That was in my mind. Little did I know, no way life doesn't play out like that. So I came over there, as I planned, let the gun off. There was about five, six people. Um, I think three of them dispersed. Two, to my utter shock and surprise, ran towards me. I don't know whether they were nervous. I don't know what was going on. I don't know whether, whatever was going on in their mind, they ran towards me. So now, as you can imagine, you know, in my mind, like, I'm thinking, whoa, like. Yeah, what do I do this, next? Yeah, like, is, is this really meant to be happening? Like, I'm actually questioning what is going on, like, here. So now, it's happening so fast. So in my head, I'm thinking, right, like, I've got to make a decision. So I got on my knee, yeah, I got on my knee and I pointed and I said, I swear I will shoot you. So they've stopped. So as soon as they've stopped, in my heart, I know 
I didn't come to shoot nobody. And I know that I made a decision that this is not what I'm coming to do, even though the other person was telling me that, that this is not my plan. So I had to, you know, I guess, change the plan, right? Because I'm not going to shoot these people, understanding this. So when they stood, I've got up. And now, because I've seen a car drive off, I thought that's the, the car I'm supposed to get in. So now that they've stopped, I've got up and I've left. I've run off, right? right. So now they've chased me. I've got to where the car was going to pick me up from, but it wasn't a car. It was a different car. So now, excuse me. So now I'm in a situation where I'm faced with the same people again. So they're still coming. And it's, and it's you know, bearing in mind, it's very snowy that night. I remember it vividly, like it was covered in snow everywhere. Like, and it was slippery. So now I've looked back. The car is not mine. The car is not the car I was going to get in. So I've gone back in. There's a block of flats just there. So I've gone inside the block of flats and they're still following me. So I've turned at the door and I've looked at them and I said, are you guys being for real? Like, obviously, like, if you don't stop following me, I'm going to shoot. So that's how I said it again. In, to my utter shock, they're still following me. So I've gone up the stairs and they're still following me. So now I'm in a corner of the stairs. Like I'm in the corner of the first floor. Hmm. So now I'm in this corner. I do not know what to do. Like there is, there's almost, it's, it's almost like it felt like my whole life was just in front of me. And all I could just see is flashes of what all the possibility, all the possible things that are going to go wrong right now. Because I'm looking at this like, I didn't plan for this to happen. I didn't plan for me to be involved in, in, in finding myself in this kind of situation. I didn't plan for this. So they've now come into the space and they've tried to rush me, right? Yeah. I still don't understand what is going on because remember in my life, I'm just 17 at the time, you know, so I put, so I put the gun to the side. I'm holding the gun by my side because I'm not trying to, like I said to you, generally my intentions were not to shoot nobody, right? So I've got put the gun by my side. And now one of them tried to hit me, because one of them got a base with a bat. One of them tried to hit me with a bat. And now I'm trying to I'm trying to fight them off. Like trying to fight them off like with a baseball, trying to block myself. And they're hitting me, hitting me. So now the one that was hitting me with a base with a bat got moved out of the way. And his friend now come and tried to grab the gun, because he knows where the gun is. He tried to grab the gun and pull it out of my hand. Now, I swear to God, this felt like this felt like the longest three seconds of my entire life up to that moment. I've never mm-hmm. felt such a slow and, you know, like it, it almost felt like everything was frozen. And all I could see is that gun out of my hand, in his hand, I'm shot dead there. That's how it felt like this is my life over. Like I don't exist anymore. And all because what? Like I wanted to come here and, you know, prove, you know what I mean? Like it's, so in my head was so jumbled up with so many things. So as he tried to grab the gun now, I have a choice to make, right? I have a choice. My choice is, do I shoot? Do I not shoot? Do I give him the gun? Knowing what the result of that would be? Yeah. What do I do? So he's pulled the gun. So he's literally grabbed the gun by the front and he's trying to pull it, yank it out of my hand. I've got the thing, like, obviously, um, it's, it's, it's a double barrel shotgun. 
So I've got Frankie. a gun. Yeah. So it's it's not even it's not even like something small that you could just pull out of my hand or I could just try to hide from him. So he's got the gun, he's got the by the nozzle, he's pulling it away. I've got the you know where the trigger is in my hand the whole time, right? Yeah. So he's pulling it. I'm tra- so as he's tried to pull it for so many years, I just want to share with you, for so many years, I never wanted to take the responsibility that I decided to pull the trigger, yeah? Right. Because it seemed like that convenience was when he was pulling it, it must have gone off, right? But nothing goes off by accident. I made a subconscious choice, yeah, that I'm not going to die here. My life is over if, if I give this gun up, right? So I wasn't going to give the gun up. So I pulled the trigger at that moment. And as I pulled the trigger, he jumped back. His friend turned away and I ran out of the building. Right. Blimey. Well, first of all, thank you for, for sharing that in, in such detail. I can't even begin to comprehend what being in a situation like that like and and so i really really thank you for being so candid with that take a moment mate if you need it that really changed my life that was the moment that my life was changed i feel like the shock the shock that i found myself um in that moment and the moments that followed, I felt like I felt like it was a dream. I, I felt like it wasn't really happening. Like the how many the amount of times I tried to wake up and look around and see that that's happened and I literally break down is unreal. That experience alone, that experience alone not prison, not hospital, not the amount of, you know, um, things that I have to do with probation, all of this, that experience alone is enough, was enough to torment me, my life up to this day. Yeah. Like I genuinely, yeah, I genuinely, you know, that's why when, when I, I think I said this to you a little while back, that's why yeah, when, I'm walking down the road. I do not see any reason why I should ever be unhappy. I should not see, I don't see any reason why I should ever feel angry. I do not see any reason why I should ever feel like I am not getting what I am, what I deserve. Because if I did that, then I would be so selfish to the point that I'm not reflecting on my life and what I did. Because I'm alive right now talking to you, right? Yeah. A person is not here because of me. A family is without their son because of me. A whole, like a future husband, a future, you know, father is not here because of me. I, you know, whichever way I look at it, However, whichever angle I've played, and I've played this situation, this scenario, and what I am to blame for in so many different versions in this, in that two seconds of my life, 
And every single time I look back and I realize that I have nothing, you know, to be sad about because I should be grateful for the fact that, you know, I have my life still here. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I, I look, I think it's um, a very positive way to, to look at something that ultimately you can't change and you, you know, you can't affect the past, but to actually take that moment and create positivity out of it through that mindset, um, I think is, uh, is very powerful. Yes. Yeah. Wow. 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 I, um, yeah, I wasn't expecting quite so much detail and I, I have to, as I say, I just thank you so much for being so really open with it. I mean, I th- at the end of the day, right, you, in order to, to move forward, you've got to understand where you've come from and you know, you're dealing with this in the, in the best way that you can. And I, yeah. I, I, I look, I, I really, really, I can't thank you enough for being so, so open about this situation because, you know, look, somebody might listen to this one day and be at that crossroads of making good or bad choices and maybe hear, hears this and thinks that, that that's not for me i, I don't i don't want yeah. that and if you've you know if that has power in in that alone then you know you've you've rescued a life from um from that as well so keep doing what you're doing man this is uh, this is really really powerful stuff thank you man um, i totally agree i feel like you know ultimately one of I for example, why am I sharing this in this candid way? Because I feel like if you know, a lot of the times the reality of what has happened to people, what has happened, you can only you can only be honest about it because if you're not honest, then I guess you're not given the full real version. And I feel like like you said, you know, if my experiences of my life can impact somebody positively so that they may not go down the same route or they may not, you know, find themselves in the same path that I find myself and struggled with and, you know, realistically not go through the same stuff I've been through in order for them to find themselves. And if they could just listen to what I've said or take some lesson from what what I'm talking about or my life experience so that they don't have to do the same they don't have to go through the same journey in order to get the same goal, mm. then I feel like, you know, I have made a positive impact. And that's why I've dedicated my life, I suppose, to the moment, you know, the moment I realized that, look, obviously I can't be sad forever and, you know, be worried about, because I've gone through a lot of stages where I was really, really down about what I've done and, you know, thinking about it, contemplating it all the time. But I got to a point where, for me, there is a reason why I'm still here. There is a reason why, you know, I am here and someone else isn't, right? And those are because of my own actions. So now, I need to make sure that I speak about my own actions, yeah, in order for other people to not go through the same path. And hopefully, the only way I can do that is by taking positive steps away from my last from my past and go into the future 
always optimistic and positive and inspire. That's why, you know, I started, you know, um, trying to find ways of capturing myself and, you know, finding a different path. And hopefully, you know, I guess that's why it was important for me to get into hospitality. Let's, um, if you don't mind, obviously this happened. You got, you got sent to jail. What was the, what were you sent to jail for and, and what was your kind of your term? Yeah, so I got, got charged with murder and firearm. Yeah. Um, but like I've just told you the, the situation now, that's exactly how I told what I said in the court. And because of that, I was given manslaughter. I was found not guilty for murder. Right. So I was given right. manslaughter and firearm. Um, those two sentenced, for those two, I was sentenced to six years IPP, which is indeterminate public protection, and but with a tariff of six. So that means, you know, I can be held in prison uh, for as long as I am not behaving myself. But if I behave myself, then after six years, I can apply for parole. And if the, the judges, the parole judges are convinced that I will come out, right? Yeah. Obviously, with IPP sentence, it's never the case because once they give you IPP, then you, there's never a guarantee that you're going to be out in a six. Some people have got two-year IPPs and they've done 10. Some have got three-year IP, they've done 11. Yeah. So there was yeah. never any certainty. But luckily for me, I've only done a year and a half over my sentence. So I came out seven and a half years later from my IPP sentence, which is a positive thing. So yeah, I got given six year IP and I was, I went to, at the time, you know, because of the shock and everything, like I said to you, I went to hospital. I was admitted to hospital because it really traumatized me, you know, this whole experience. Yeah. I was admitted to hospital, Broadmoor Hospital, and I stayed there for a duration of four and a half years. Then I was got brought back to prison. Um, I stayed there for another, I think about two, yeah, three years in prison. I was moved all over the, um, the prisons. In Brixton Prison is when I first came into contact with... Um, I guess hospitality yep. and, and the clink restaurant. At first, to be honest with you, when I first, you know, thought of the clink, because at this time I'm in Cat C, which is like open or lesser condition, medium condition prison, the plan was to release me soon. And I'm looking for the best job, and prison is not a place where you get paid a lot of money for working. So clink was the place that he paid £25 a week. So that appealed to me, right. which was more money, more money than any other jobs. So, and the food was nice. So I guess I, guess I applied for that job. Yeah. And, well, yeah, that's that's two that reasonable job. motivations. Yeah. <laughs> I applied for that. was actually about two reasons at the beginning. So yeah. I applied for the job. I went in there. And to be honest with you, it was tough. It was not easy. It was tough, you know, being in an environment like that. But you quickly get used to it and you realize that, okay, cool. So when I first came in there, I remember like I was being told, well, I'll be, I'll be trained how to hold a tray full of glasses and cups, right? With a balance, right? Yeah. And I remember holding it with two hands and walking as if I'm about to drop everything. 
like walking like a snail. And there's only like four glass, four Coke bottles on there. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, yeah, one of the managers came up to me and he said, listen, you know, it's what you could do yeah, is put your hand underneath, yeah? And remember, if you think you're going to drop it, you really think you're going to drop it, fine. But just don't, like, just, as long as you don't drop it on no one's head, yeah? And if you drop it to the side, it's fine. You see that, it might have been just simple advice and logic advice here, but what it done for me is it made me realize that you can make a mistake. It's okay to make a mistake as long as that mistake doesn't cost, you know, someone's shirt, you know, like wet someone up, put glass yeah. on the floor. Like as long as you don't hurt anybody, it's fine. Just make a mistake and make it away from it. And then just that confidence alone, I never broke a glass, actually. Right. But... Because of that, you know, that safety barrier, I was able to just really like go into like doing spinning around around the corners with the glasses and that. <laughs> I don't think it's that safe, but you know, the trays, the tray thing became easy. You know, the training, I took it a lot more seriously. Yeah, so I think what one of the things also has done for me is it gave me the confidence to to believe that you know I can do something. I can do anything, I guess. And because a lot of the time, the problem is if you have negativity and what I say to you, prison is a negative environment, yeah? Yeah. If you are in a negative place, everybody is going to be negative, right? Yeah. But if you don't see a positive outlet or a positive input, yeah, more than you see the negative input, then you are basically going to be consumed by that negativity. The clink was a space and an environment where I was able to come away from the negativity of the prison, yeah, get to work in an environment where the customers from outside will come in and I was able to serve them and, you know, work, talk to them and, and you know, they would appreciate the conversations we've had and I was able to access support from, you know, the support worker in there, my support worker. By the way, you know, I just... I. I can't help but mention this um, lady here. Uh, her name is Janice. She's a support worker for the clink. Um, amongst most of the, amongst all the staff that are exceptional at what they do here, yeah, she really, really goes above and beyond to help you know us in order to really make sense of things. And one of the first things, the first meetings I've had with her in order to figure out when I come outside, what I'm going to do, we was having a conversation and I was trying to talk to her about, you know, my, the, you know, the reason I got recalled to prison. And she said to me, Mohammed, if you're not going to be honest with yourself and honest with me, then there's no point of us talking about something because if I'm going to give you advice, it's better you tell me the full story than I can give you advice on how to overcome it. And that alone just reminded me that sometimes the baseline for any relationship should always be honesty and transparency. Yeah. And every single situation I've been in with the clink has been a lesson for me and confidence booster. And I literally went in there feeling low confidence, feeling like I'm unable to accomplish, you know, simple tasks. Even though I'm, I can do things, I feel like mentally I'm unable to do, mentally I'm unable to overcome all these problems. I came out of there feeling like I can do anything. I can literally out, come out of prison and achieve anything. And that's why when I got released, 
in 2019, June, I had a different, whole, whole different vibe when it came to um, my, my optimism for the future. Yeah. I think I, you know, skipped a part where I did come to Brixton Prison the first time. I got released. I think I skipped that part. I got released because this gives you like a comparison to the success as well. I got released from I got released from Brixton Prison in 2017, right? But I had no support from the clink. I had no support from anybody apart from the hostel I went to. I had no outside support with work or anything like that. And a year to the day, 2017, in 2018, I went back to prison. Right. A year to right. the day. And the reason I went back to prison, I'm not going to say to you and just say that it was because I had no work. It is because I had work, but not just that, because I was, it was my first time out since 2010. It was, there were so many things I needed support and help with, and it felt like I got left to my own devices. I had no, you know, no understanding of life outside. And I'm, even though I'm 25, I still feel like I'm 17 because I went into prison as a 17. almost felt like I was right, 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have that extra so, life experience. It, Exactly. And that's why it led to me getting recalled because I was not taking myself as seriously as I should. But the second time in comparison, when I was able to access the clinic, when I was able to access the support on the outside, when I was able to access the links they've given me, and I was able to come across public, um, the public in, within the restaurant because there were people that was coming to that, um, the clinic restaurant and talking about you know, offering people jobs outside. You know, that's where I met um, Ben Burton. That's where I met him when he was over there. You know, he said he, like, he, he's been really supportive, you know, since I've been out and yeah. everything I've tried to do. And Robert as well, Robert Richardson, that's where I first met him. And I feel like the the whole connects I've made with inside the clink, it almost put me in a platform. I want second chance. It gave me the platform and the environment to receive that second chance. That's where I met Oaxaca. The whole company they were doing a, um, a celebration um, for their um, for their the whole team of managers, and that's where I first met them. And because I was so confident by that time, when I saw them doing you know the uplifting and giving people prizes for doing exceptional work, I approached them and I said, "Look, is there any way I could get involved in your company? Like I really like what you guys do, how you employ, what how you you know applaud hard work and etiquette like that." And they said, yeah, okay, cool. When are you coming up? Then I told them and they said, okay, we're going to give an email to, you know, support worker journalists and, 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 and the chief executive. And then once, once all of this is done, once you come up, just give us an email. You know, shortly after that, three months into it, they emailed the chief executive to say, look, by the way, his chief is Chris Moore. They said to him, look, you know, we're still interested. Is Muhammad coming out? So... All of these avenues would not have been possible if I wasn't in an environment like the clink. Yeah. And I'll be forever grateful for the platform they have given me. Um, and yeah, so since I've been out, I've been working with Hacker, obviously I've been follow-up. It wasn't even an interview. It was just like a catch-up. How are you still feeling? You still feeling like you want to work here? Yeah, cool. So I started in Oaxaca. Oaxaca was amazing. The difference between Oaxaca and the clink, Oaxaca is... It's not as slow, you know, and Oaxaca is nowhere near as, as slow as the clink. The clink is like a fine dimension. People come in, 
the covers get booked and that's it. Yeah. We're dealing with the same tables. What happened? 20 tables change like constantly like that. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Table, table, table. A lot was, more fast paced. Yeah. yeah. Fast, fast paced. It felt like a street in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the corner, the corner shop. That literally, that's what it felt like. You know, not that I've been to Mexico. I would love to go there. Just seeing in the movies. So yeah, honest to God, I feel like it was it it was a different challenge, a completely different challenge. But the staff over there, the management, all the way to the founders, all the way to the staff on the floor, I felt like their whole ethos is humility. Like they're all humble, and and that's what made me want to stay there as long as I did and work with them. And literally, like it's been, it's been, it's almost from you know a cube that I was in in within the clinic restaurant, a nice family environment, to a nicer family environment on the outside with more money, with more pay, with more you know like things just got better. Yeah, I'm really you know I can't really you know thank the Oaxaca for the opportunities and the chance they've taken on me because a lot of the times it's easy for people to say they want second chances but it's not easy for them to get people to give them the second chances and yeah. that's everything that has happened in my life although you know tra- um, testing and difficult it also has it has also prepared me for being able to appreciate the little things people do you know when somebody says good morning to me, I appreciate that. When somebody, you know, does something simple but nice, I appreciate that because I feel like in general, I appreciate being alive. I appreciate, you know, being a human at this time. I appreciate how, how you know, great, I, I'm grateful for, you know, my life in general. And that would not have been the case, weirdly enough, had I not experienced, you know, the difficulties that I have experienced in my life. Yeah, it's, you know? it's, it's incredible to think, isn't it? That, you know, the, your journey is your own journey. I think Michelle Obama uses the phrase, your, your journey is your power or your story yeah. is your power. And, you know, it's, it's true. You know, nobody knows your story like you do. You've experienced so much. Um, yet at the same at the same time, so little. You know, you've got now. You're what you're doing is generating new experiences uh, for your for your life on a we we hope a much a much more positive path um, uh, yeah. for you. You know, and I think the wonderful thing for me is to to hear that that hospitality's played such a massive part in that, in yeah. the sense that you know, one the clink. I think anybody who who knows hospitality knows that the the work they do is just it's incredible um and long may that continue but more importantly mm-hmm. you know it's then that transition from when you are released and you mentioned it yourself is where does the support come at that point and that's that's the most important element because you know, I I'd, I'd suggest that you're pretty vulnerable when you you come out of uh, of a prison when you've been Absolutely. there and that's, that's the only life that you've known for seven and a half years, you know, the world has changed. The world changes so fast in that time. And as you say, you went in and you were a, you were a kid basically. Yes. Uh, and you come out and your, your whole adult life experience is based around the, you know, the walls within the, within the prison. Yeah. And yet 
things move on so quickly outside of that that it's it's right that it's i mean that must be like an onslaught to the senses when you come out and you know everything's just different and changed yeah so, so having uh, a support function and that support function can come in many forms i think and and it's lovely to hear that oaxaca are you know from an environmental perspective are just if it feels like you know it's a home for you yeah absolutely you know i feel like one of the is you know one of the main things has been the immense support i constantly receive you know from the support workers outside and from the hospitality sector because a lot of the times you know it's it almost feels like i'm part of a bigger bigger family i feel like you know ben checks up on me says muhammad how are you doing you know robert the same i feel like obviously with everything obviously with the with what's going on now 2020 it's been hard for people to you know make more inroads and to get to know each other and finding out how they can be more involved in what I'm doing or helping me in terms of figuring out my future. Yeah. But the main thing is they see the work I'm trying to put in and they see that I'm trying. And you see when somebody's trying, if they don't receive the right push or the right support or the right help, trying will be a failed attempt. And I feel like everything that the hospitality sector has done has been, you know, trying to get the best out of me in terms of believing that when you need help, there is people there to help you. Yeah. When you need a second chance, there are people who will offer it. It might not happen straight away. It might not happen the first day you've asked, but if you are consistent in your approach and your, you know, the way, the way you're going in your direction, then there will be people there to support you. And that's what this whole experience has proved to me. And that's why now I don't, count anybody out by saying ever like, okay, they're not going to help me. There is no such thing as they're not going to help me. If I do the right things and I approach the right people, they will help me. Even if they don't know how to help me, they will find someone else or they'll point me in the right direction for the help I, um, I, I require. And that's why, you know, it almost felt like it's changed my whole perception on, on humans in general. Yeah. Because a lot of the times, you know, like I, I can only go by what I hear. And when you're in prison for as long as I have been, you hear that nobody's going to give you work outside. Nobody's going to give you a chance outside. Like the, the best thing you can do is, you know, go back to what you knew. Like that's, that's the mind frame that people get caught up in. Like I have a criminal record. I will never get a job. I have this. I will. Listen, the reality of life is you won't get a job if you don't want it. You will get a job if you want it. If you want to work hard, you'll get a job. By the way, like any job is a job, right? So yeah. hospitality is an amazing sector. If you can't get a job in hospitality, that doesn't mean you are not going to get a job. That means you can go to another job. You can get into plumbing. That's another job. You can go street cleaning. That's another job. I feel like the, what the, funnily enough, the 25 pound I was receiving from the clinic restaurant has put me into perspective of realizing if I can be content with 25 pounds a week, yeah, and be satisfied with that, with inside and a confinement every week, mm. then surely, now if I calculate how many hours I can work in a day and how many hours I can work in a week, 
how much my actual wages, minimum wages are here, are you telling me I will not be satisfied to do any job? So that's, that's where the change came. Like I would, I would do any job as long as it pays me the wages and pays for my bills. And as I'm doing that job, I will plan for whatever else it is I would like to achieve from life and my ambitions. And I would have never had that mindset have I not, had I not experienced what it's like to be paid little, what it's like to be paid more, what it's like to struggle. So it's just like you said at the beginning of all of this year, it's yeah. a mindset, mindset. So someone could look at my situation and go, wow, I don't ever want to go through that. Someone else could go through my, look at my situation and go, wow, wow, like, you know, the life is, you know, it's happy to be alive. You know, I'm looking at my situation, I'm thinking, I've gone through all of this to get to where I am. In hindsight, would I like to go through things in a slightly different way, slightly safer format, slightly less dramatic, less stressful, less traumatic way to be where I am today? Yes. But the facts are, there is no such thing as, there's no such thing as an easy route to discovering yourself and your life and, and the path of where you're supposed to go. And that's why I'm grateful to be the man I am today, irrespective of, you know, all the difficulties I've had. As a matter of fact, I look at all the difficulties and I realize that those difficulties make me a better man, not a lesser man. Yeah. You know, so I think um, I think that's a a great way to to summarise, and you know that's that's all down to the strength of you that you come to that conclusion, you know, and you're clearly the environmental elements in your life are are much much more conducive to you being able to move forward in the way that you want to now, but yeah. you know that 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 whole thing starts with your strength. I think you're an absolute real life success story, and a massive inspiration and to be honest I'm, I'm a little bit in awe of what you've you've come through and what you're now achieving and I wish you the the greatest success going forward and if there's anything I can do to help then I'd, I'd you know I'm I'm all over that yeah um, I really really appreciate that Phil thank you so much it, it was you know what yeah, having an interview or having a conversation with you didn't even feel like a conversation or interview it just felt like I was just sitting down talking. That's why, you know, I feel like you have a way of just, you know, making the conversation feel as comfortable and as relaxed as it, it has been. And due, you. due to that, I guess that's why, you know, I felt, I didn't feel like it was difficult to open up and be as candid about my life and my experiences as I have been. So yeah, thank you for making it an easy conversation as well. Bless you. That's that's very very kind of you to say. So uh, it's been an an absolute pleasure. And and look, let's get an actual face to face coffee meeting booked in. Um, yeah. And um, I'd I'd wish you all the very best with the next chapter. All right, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Phil. No problem. Take care. All right, then. Thanks, all right, Mohammed. All right then. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And breathe. As Michelle Obama says, your story is your power. Mohammed, you have one powerful story. Please, please, please share this story as far as you can. As I said at the beginning, it's incredibly important. Please also follow Mohammed in all his amazing social media accounts. He posts inspiring messages to his YouTube channel, hashtag Mo, hashtag Inspires, 
and this wonderful message is backed up on his Twitter at mo underscore humane skill and his Instagram mi underscore horizon. All of these will be in the show notes. Let's help this incredible human being spread his positivity message. I think we can all agree what Muhammad has achieved to break the cycle of negativity is just incredible. He's now got an extended hospitality family of which I'm proud to play a small part. This demonstrates very clearly to me what a wonderful industry hospitality is. It's more than a career, it's a family. I think it's also safe to say that he may not have even been put in this position if it was not for the wonderful people over at the Clink restaurant in Brixton. Amazing work guys, truly. If you know of any other truly inspiring humans from within hospitality whose story needs to be shared, please do get in touch through any of our social channels. Inspiring stories need to be heard just as much as the fun. I'll be back as normal next Wednesday at 8pm with more stories from the world of hospitality. Until then, thanks so much for listening and have a great week.